different to a golf club? How is church any different to a golf club? I guess both groups could look very similar, couldn't they? I wonder if you can tell me what I'm talking about here. You meet together regularly. You share a common interest. You fundraise to get hold of a new building or a new clubhouse and make improvements to it. You eagerly try and get people to join your group, perhaps with the odd internet ad. You develop friendships within the group and you maybe even share a meal every now and then with folk from that group. I think each of these statements could be applied to a lot of churches and to a lot of golf clubs. So is church just the same as a golf club? Is it simply another hobby? You like fishing, I go to church. You're in the bridge club, I go to church. You're into gaming, but I'm into the church. What does it actually mean to be part of the church? What does it mean to be part, what does it mean to be part of this church? Or maybe you're at a different point in your journey and you're simply here exploring, investigating what all this church and Christianity stuff is about. You're so welcome here. I wonder what it makes you think of when you think, what is the church? What is being part of the church? So I'm going to give you 30 seconds to talk to the person next to you about that question. What does it mean to be part of the church? 30 seconds, go for it. Great, that was maybe less than 30 seconds, but sorry about that. Um, <laughs> we're on a tight timetable. We'll draw things together there. The Bible describes church as fundamentally different to any society, club, or group. And there's a lot of reasons for this. And the passage, the, the section of the Bible we're going to look at today, looks at one of those reasons. As a group, we're reading through an account of the life of Jesus by a guy called Luke, who was around at the time of Jesus. And the section today is thinking about the duties or responsibilities that disciples or followers of Jesus have to one another. And this is one of the ways in which we are different to a golf club. As we read, it would be helpful for you to be thinking about what Jesus says makes a difference. What what makes believers in him different to other people? What are the duties that make them stand out from other groups of people? Kino is going to come up and read for us Luke chapter 17. That's on page 1050 of the Blue Bibles, 1050. Um, That's big number 17 on that page, and we're reading from verses 1 to 6. Luke 17, 1 to 6. Jesus said to the disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a milestone tied around their neck than to cause one of little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sin against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, And seven times come back to you saying, I repent. You must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. And it will obey you. Thank you, Kino. Kino. 
So Jesus' big message at the start of this verse, is, this, this section, is in verse 3. He says, so watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Now, it's important to see who Jesus is speaking to here, it's especially to his disciples, his followers. See in verse 1, he says, Jesus said to his disciples. So that's who he's talking to here. And he says to them, watch yourselves. Why does he tell them this? What, does, what do they need to watch out for in themselves? Well, Jesus has just explained that there is a real danger that followers of Jesus may do things which cause other followers to sin or to stumble. That, can be, that sin word can be a really scary word, and we often don't quite understand what it means. When the Bible talks about sin, it's speaking of a fundamental departure from God's ways. And the word translated in our Bibles as cause to stumble is talking about sin. And it's a word from hunting, the bait stick of a trap, which when triggered, causes an animal to be ensnared. And that's exactly what sin does. It ensnares us. We can't get out of it alone. As human beings, it's part of our very nature to do this ever since our first ancestors rejected God's ways, went away away from him. So this results in separation from God and therefore a just judgment by him. And it's a terrible place to be. That's why Jesus warns his disciples, watch yourselves. He warns them then and he warns us today that leading a fellow believer away from God and into sin will be punished. And it's severe. It would, be better to, it would be better to drown than to face judgment for leading another believer away from God. That's severe. Now, given its severity, Jesus thinks it's important that we think a bit more about how this might look, some of the ways we might actually do this. So Jesus goes on to give an example. Let's read from verse 3. Again, look for the two duties that Jesus gives to believers. I'm going to ask you afterwards uh, what they are. So what are the two duties? So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So uh, anyone, can anyone tell me what, what's one of the duties that we're given here? Rebuke and the other one? Forgive. Rebuke and forgive. So that's the big focus of what Jesus is saying we need to be doing for those around us in, in the church. This is one area where the church is very different to a golf club. When we see a fellow believer who Jesus calls a brother or sister here, when we see them living in ways against God's way, then we want to help them. In fact, Jesus has said that to let another person go on living in that way is itself sin. So a group of believers in Jesus have responsibilities or duties to each other, the duties of disciples. The first of these is to lovingly rebuke someone who sins against us. That kind of means to correct them. Now, it's important to note here that if you're the kind of person who loves to do this, then you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> you're probably doing it with the wrong motivation or, and in the wrong way. But others shirk this responsibility because it's awkward and we fear what people will think of us. And that's also going against Jesus' instructions here for his people. So we probably need to have an attitude of of prayerful, humble, loving um, uh, rebuke as we do this. Notice too the ways in which Jesus guards against the idea of the church being like the sin police, uh, going around looking to spot sin in other people and tell them off. That's not what he's saying here. His main point of the section here is to say, watch yourselves. 
be sure that you don't sin. I find certainly I can identify in a fellow believer some sin because I see an element of that sin in myself. I'll say it again because I didn't say it very clearly. I often find I can identify sin in a fellow believer because I recognize an element of that sin in myself. And Jesus' first application is for us to watch ourselves. Some people may know that elsewhere in the Bible, Jesus speaks about um, removing a plank in your own eye before removing the speck of dust in someone else's eye. And that's the kind of idea he's getting at here. It's crucial to examine ourselves and then recognize and turn from our own sin before we go about nitpicking in the affairs of others. Rebuking someone for a wrong they have done does sound scary. It sounds judgmental, doesn't it? But it doesn't have to be. We, as a church, need to foster a relational atmosphere where we allow this kind of loving honesty. We need to encourage one another to avoid sin and live in line with Jesus' ways. And by not rebuking someone for living in sin, we are causing them to go on sinning. And so we too are guilty, according to Jesus. So that's the first duty that believers have. It's hard. Our duty is to rebuke. But the second duty may be even harder. We're going to join halfway through verse 3. It says, If they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back saying, I repent, you must forgive them. We must do this. It's our duty to forgive when a brother or sister truly repents in response to rebuke. What does it mean to repent? It's an odd word. We don't use that that much nowadays. My fancy Bible dictionary says to make a change of principle and practice. Change of principle and practice. So kind of two-pronged definition there. It's a deep-rooted change in the way we think and in our practice, in the way we do things. It's a decision to change the way we live. A decision to turn around and walk the other way. It's like when you're driving um, with your GPS and you kind of get, get a bit distracted and you miss a, miss a turn and your GPS, um, quite aggressively sometimes, tends to say, make a U-turn. And you miss that and it says, make a U-turn. And it keeps getting more and more angry. That's the, that's the way that you have to get to your destination. You're going the wrong way and you have to turn around 180 degrees and come the other way. You're heading the wrong way. To get where you want to go, you have to turn around. So in some ways, repentance is a bit like that U-turn you're told to do. We need to repent to live God's way. Repenting against the people we've sinned. And actually, the Bible speaks bigger than that and saying, actually, we need to repent against God because he's the one that we've wronged. So we must decide to stop going the way we're going and actually turn the car around to drive in the right direction. That's repentance. And Jesus says that the the duty of the believer is to forgive someone who truly repents. No matter how many times, if they truly repent, we must forgive them. Now, it's important to say here that depending on the specific sin, this may be just difficult, or it may be seemingly impossible to do this. There's a whole range of sins that we can commit against each other, and it's really important to recognize that. Some might feel like mild attacks, others like full-blown personal assaults. And there's no doubt a difference in the difficulty of forgiving someone, depending on the sin that's been committed against you. But if I simply rebuke someone for their sin, without being willing to forgive them for that sin, then it shows actually that I had the wrong attitude in the first place when I rebuked them. It wasn't out of love. 
If a rebuke is given out of love to help our brother or sister, then we will naturally want to lovingly forgive them so they can move on and we can move on too. If we don't, it's only going to breed bitterness and frustration in both parties. So Jesus says, you must forgive them. Let's think of an example. I'm going to pick one from my own life um, to see how this could play out in a church context. So I personally am very conscious that I can often try and make myself look good in front of other people, like here. And often it's related to good things that I'm doing uh, and good things that God is doing through me. So someone might praise me for being really clear in a talk or for leading a gathering really well. Or they might say... um, I said something really helpful to them in a conversation, something that really spoke into their situation. And the right response to that is to be so pleased that God has used me in that situation to love and serve this person. But I try and take the credit for it myself. I try to hide it, but often it bubbles up. And my heart, in my heart, I know what I'm doing, and it bubbles over and um, becomes clear, um, and it hurts people. I start to subtly boast about the good things that God's doing through me with my time, perhaps with the people I've helped. Now, this might be having a negative impact on my sister, Jo. Jo, join me up here. She's feeling put down by my frequent attempts to make myself appear more competent than her. And so Jo approaches me. Hi, Jo. (laughs) So, Ed, have you got a minute? Uh, Yes, yeah. So there's something that's been bothering me a bit that I wanted to talk to you about, and it's about me and you. Is that that okay to talk about that just now? Uh, Yeah, sure. Okay, so... um, you're really good at what you do, and when Thank you're you. up front, you, you speak really clearly. But sometimes afterwards, when you're telling me about kind of how people said nice things to you, it can make me feel a bit small. It can make me feel like you're really, really cool and really good at stuff, and it makes me feel like you think that I'm not. Does that, is that something that kind of maybe you've noticed? Yeah, I can see. I didn't, I didn't realize it was affecting you like that, so I'm sorry. Um, I, I am sorry. Um, what, what do you think I can do? Um, well, thanks, first of all, for saying you're sorry, and I forgive you, um, and I think we can probably move on together. Now, I know that I do this too. Um, when people say things to me, then I share them with you, and I can, I can see this in you because I can see it in me as well, and I wonder if we could maybe work on this together. Um, sure, yeah. Shall we pray about it? Yeah, let's do that. Great, and we'll cut there. We would pray, um, because that is very important. Great, um, now understand, that's a, a humorous element to, to what we're doing there, but actually this is a really serious matter, but we're trying to demonstrate what it might look like to rebuke someone lovingly, recognizing um, how, to, how to do that well. Um, but yeah, so, so it's not meant to be a funny thing. Apologies for the slight laughter there. It's a serious matter. And it's something that Jesus says we must do to each other. Sin is toxic. And maybe it's something overt, or maybe it's something hidden. Maybe it's rare, or maybe it's something more common, like gossiping, anger, greed, or jealousy. Sin is the root of all dysfunction in this world, and it's the root of all dysfunction in the church, in this church. So we must help each other fight it. We need to be willing to be rebuked. We need to make clear to those we interact with that we want to grow. We want to be rebuked for things that we want to turn away from. And often we don't know about them until someone tells us. And then we need to have a willingness to ask for forgiveness, to say sorry and mean it. 
This is really hard. And the disciples recognize this. Verse 5 says, increase our faith. They see the task ahead of them is, is almost impossible. How could they possibly do this? Increase our faith. Carrying out these duties of rebuking and forgiving requires extraordinary faith. And as I've touched on already, for some particular sins, that would be especially hard. In the golf club, there's no expectation of helping each other grow to live better lives, more godly lives. If anything, they want to lead more golfy lives, don't they? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there's no expectation there to do that. If anything, they, they, just, they don't really mind how you live. But they do. Jesus says we do need to lovingly rebuke and lovingly forgive our fellow believers. In the church, this is our duty, and it's hard. So Jesus' followers ask him to help them. And he replies by telling them that even if they have faith as small as the smallest seed around, the mustard seed, then that's enough. Jesus says even a tiny amount of faith is immensely powerful. Powerful to uproot the most deeply embedded tree in the area, the mulberry tree. The black mulberry tree lived up to 600 years and has a vast array of deep-rooted roots uh, in the depth of the soil. And even that little bit of faith is powerful to uproot the most deeply embedded tree. Even a little bit of faith is powerful to uproot even the most deeply embedded problem in a group of believers. Sin. So Jesus is making the point, as one writer says, that it's not so much great faith that is required, but faith in a great God. It's not so much great faith that's required, but faith in a great God. Actually, he doesn't need to increase their faith because they believe in, in a, their faith is in someone who's, who's much greater than anything they could ever imagine, who can achieve much greater things. I wonder how we can foster this culture of rebuking and forgiving in our church. Well, Jesus is saying that it starts with faith in him. He is the one that each of us repeatedly sin against each day. And yet, he is the one who's also always ready to forgive us when we repent. That is, when we acknowledge our ways are wrong and turn a U-turn to do his ways. And he knows that we will keep needing this, but he lavishes forgiveness on us each day for those who put their trust in him. Now, the danger of being able to do such impossible things like, like rebuke and forgive, uh, truly, the danger of doing those things is that with that great faith, we are tempted to be proud of ourselves for what we've done. And so Jesus finishes up with a brief parable to help us. So we'll just read that just now. Here's his parable from verse 7. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after your sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, now come, sorry, come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The point of Jesus' parable here is that the servant, or more precisely translated, the slave, is simply doing his duty. He shouldn't expect to be rewarded for what he's doing. He's just doing his duty. He shouldn't expect um, his master to think, uh, that he deserves anything because of it. It's simply his duty. Rather, he should carry out his duties as expected without demanding or expecting a reward. Now, Jesus reminds us that his followers are like that slave, owned by God and unworthy 
to ask him for anything. We've rejected him so many times, we're not worthy to ask him for anything. So in our rebuking and our forgiving by faith, we should not presume that by doing those things, we're anything special. We're simply living in response to God's great forgiveness that he's offered to us in Jesus himself for the sins against God himself. Verse 10 again. When you've done everything you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Now, the wonderful news for those who follow Jesus is that we do have a master who is abundantly loving. And despite this unworthiness, he still loves us. He is, in fact, a master who doesn't give us what we deserve. He brings us back from our rejection of him, and he gives us hope, even when we fail to carry out those duties that we've talked about. There's nothing we can do to earn that reward of eternity with him. Just like the servant in the parable, we are unworthy. We don't deserve anything. We are unworthy to expect anything at our master's table. And despite this, um, we read a while ago when we are going through the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 12, verse 37, that Jesus says, um, he's speaking about a great feast uh, that pictures heaven and God, the master. And he says this, It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. So our God is actually a God who does invite us to his heavenly banquet. We just need to accept that invitation. He will even serve his people. So as we go about our duties of rebuking and forgiving, remember the God who we are actually serving and who we're doing those duties for. He is a kind God. He's a forgiving God, a mighty God. With even the smallest faith in him, we can do seemingly impossible things. Well, that's one way we're different to the golf club. We believe in a God who cares how we live because of our faith in him. And because of that, we want to help each other as a group of believers live more in line with his ways. Even the smallest faith empowers us to rebuke and forgive because of who that faith is in. So by way of application, Jesus says we need to watch ourselves. We don't lead others into sin. Why are we not doing this? By completing our duties to our brothers and sisters. So to finish up, we're going to take 60 seconds um, thinking by ourselves um, just to consider the following questions. Do I need to repent for something? Are there people I need to rebuke? Are there people I need to forgive? Um, And after that, we'll have Q&A directly um, on the um, uh, pigeonhole. So do be thinking about that as well. I'll put some music on.